Hey guys, and welcome to Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to a jam-packed Happy, Sad, Confused this week. Yeah, talk faster. That's that's Sammy. That's not me doing a voice. Um, yeah, I should talk fast because we got a lot of content to get to, guys. No, an embarrassment of riches this week on Happy, Sad, Confused. So we'll keep the intros relatively brief. Um, on the docket today, uh, a little bit later on in the podcast, we're going to have um, the uh, wonderful actor, the dashing leading man that is Eric Bass. Anna. You know him, of course, from Black Hawk Down, and he man, he was the Hulk. Come on, he was he was the first movie was, Hulk. Yeah, well, not the first. The first ever. movie. I said movie. Oh yeah, movie Hulk. And for my money, actually, I defend that Angley movie. I know that's a controversial statement, but oh. <laughs> anyway, Eric Mann is coming up a little later. He's talking all about special correspondence, uh, the delightful new. Um, uh, film from Ricky Gervais that is currently on Netflix. Check it out. But first up, we need to talk about oh. very excited. This was an honor. Always a thrill to have these guys in here. Um, Key and Peel stopped by. Keegan Michael Key and Jordan Peel stopped by the office to talk about Keanu, their new, very, very funny new film. Sammy's excited. I am. Um, I for me, Key and Peel is like that's the future. They're gonna. There, I mean, they're they're already they're the past, present, and future. But in terms of like movies, yeah, Keanu's a really Keanu's a really good start. Jordan has directed his own film that doesn't involve Keegan. Actually, that's a straight on horror film with Allison Williams on it. Um, So we talk a bit about that, but we talk a lot about it's. It's a really, uh, I I really enjoyed the conversation because it's certainly funny. It can't not be funny if those guys are involved. But it's actually kind of a. a, a smart conversation, not from me, certainly not me, oh, but yeah. from them discussing the ins and outs of comedy and their approach to filmmaking. They're brilliant. They're, they're, they're legit I super knew. smart dudes. I uh, was in the elevator. Was it them. special? Was it a big moment? Yeah, it was. And I was like, oh, I think I should make a joke about the don't, no, buttons Don't, don't try. Something. No, no. And I was just like, instead, I just, like, <laughs> Yeah, that's a horrible, horrible thing to do in an elevator. I just was so overwhelmed. <laughs> it's overwhelming. They're great. They're great. And Keanu is now in theaters. You guys should check it out. Um, it's kind of like a throwback action comedy from the eighties and nineties. We talk a lot about the films that influenced it, and um, and it was it was it was super cool. I also discovered in my research we allude to this a little bit, but Jordan got here a bit early, and we were um, chit chatting that he. I think I mentioned this to you, Sammy. That we went to the same school. Growing up, did I tell you this? Like a like middle school. Or middle something. school, uh, yes. But not, were you in the same grade? I'm three years older than him, mm-hmm. but conceivably, I mean, I don't remember him. He doesn't remember me. But yes, PS87 and IS44. We went to two schools together. What? Yeah, crazy. So it's um, so weird. You guys weren't friends, and he grew and he grew up like two blocks away from me. Really? Yeah, bizarre. Another Upper West Sider. Another Upper West Sider, guys. So no wonder um, uh, he's a comedic genius. So many great Add things come the from the Upper West of, Side of people you went to schools with. Exactly. Corey Stoll, Adrian Grenier, yeah. <laughs> and Jordan Peele. You guys should all get together and do something. Some horrible band. It sounds like the <laughs> yeah. worst group, super group ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, since there's a lot to get to, let's go right to uh, the very funny, very smart conversation with Key and Peele. Go check out Keanu, guys. This is going to be so fun. Oh, it's going to be You're good. all so lucky. Oh, this is great. Enjoy. We we joined the podcast so already in progress. We see Jordan oh, is 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 playing my Birdman bird action bird figures. Man. Well, you know, I was expecting there to be a cape, but I see no cape. It, it kind of oh, fell apart. Oh, I see, I see. The wings, right? The wings, yeah. He used to make noises, but to name drop, Michael Keaton was on the podcast, and right. he was the one that actually broke my Birdman. He fiddled action with the Birdman action figure, and I wonder, Josh, if some of that is 
uh, subconscious self-destruction. Yeah. The well, part of Michael. Well, yeah, he Michael may Ray, be yeah. critical of himself. Oh, mm-hmm. the, now he's moved on to the um, Michael Shannon Zod so action that's figure. Zod, that's Zod. Squeeze his legs, Jordan. He'll make you happy. Uh, <gasps> oh, my gosh. What? Uh, for, help this me again. What's in, what are in Zod's hands? He, the, that, that, that scene does not the, occur in the film, I believe, but right. he is, he's holding giant um, green, I don't know, how would you describe it? Like um, puzzle sticks. Like how, no, no, they're not pugil sticks. They're like... Uh, they're, they're, you're right, his default is to have them above his head, which is interesting because he leaves himself defenseless anytime he goes to strike. Right, yeah. But on the other but hand, he's, he's always he's, working out. He's right, always exactly. like uh, so toning up. It's as if you're punching into granite, and he's Kryptonian. Right, right, right. So if we were to try to attack him, it would be to no avail. Right. Uh, for those just joining us, we're in the middle of our uh, toy um, assessments. Uh, uh, do you guys have action I figures? Are there Keanu action figures? My The one thing I have in the in my office, which is now in storage since we've moved out of the KMPL office, I all I have right now up is my little, um, my Daryl from The Walking Dead, uh, um, not bobblehead. It's one of those like, giant, like the Funko thing, like a Funko, like, yeah, like yeah. A, like a vinyl, like a vinyl designed, you know, collectible. Sure, yeah, and th- and that's all I have up right now. That yeah. and I have a set of nesting dolls that are different Detroit Red Wings players. Oh wow! So that you know, okay, as, uh, yeah. honoring my hometown. For, so. for you, Jordan, what's your prized possession? What's I, your my? Well, you know, I've got I've got a ton of toys scattered around and. They're all kind of like not, everything is now like just packed into my my room, right. my my little. Why why did you put question quotation marks on your room? Because you it's, not more, a room? it's more like a hole with a bunch of clothes and toys. <laughs> it's a bit of a closet like, with one shelf in it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Not, right. Right. You guys live in the same space, I assume. Exactly. You have bunk beds yeah. where you. It's about three hundred square feet. <laughs> you really should see your lawyer or something. You're not getting the proper payment for your efforts thus far. That's right. <laughs> that's probably part of the impetus of going big time. Because I mean, that's I mean, why we're making a movie. I mean, TV's great and all. It's adorable. It's sweet. Sure, sure. I mean, Peabody's whatever. Blah blah blah. But big time now, movie stars. Yeah, it's time. Movie stars. It's time Don't to move turn on. back. I love the fact that, uh, and I like that everybody's saying it because what we're doing is you, mm. as a person who is a purveyor of of information, I'm an influencer. News, I'm an, an influencer. Let's just say it. Let's just say it. It's good that you're saying we're movie stars yeah, yeah. before the movies come out. I like that because yeah. it's moving that idea forward. <laughs> <laughs> It's becoming closer to a reality. To a reality every single day. Every it, time someone utters those words, it makes it more real. It is a reality. I'm so s- then we can move into a closet that's 600 square feet. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a partition. Maybe, maybe there's... A partition. Maybe we'll put up maybe we'll put up track lighting oh. and, and hang a curtain. Would it be great? What do you think? Dare to dream. Good. Have we started? I think so. Right. Are you comfortable starting? Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you want, do you want to go back <laughs> in time? Sure. We do. We feel. We, well, is that not your A-list my, material? My check. So make sure. Go for it. Check, check one. Check two. Check three. Check four. Check four. Check five, check five. Where's that coffee? <laughs> All right, here we go. Ready. I heard check, 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 check. Where's that coffee? Jordan's only it's a, it's consumed. A new, uh, warm up. I was not aware of this. We need, we need caffeine because you guys are on a hell of a press tour right now. Yes, we're actually we're coming into for landing pretty soon. You very, feel, very soon. Yeah. Has, have you? Uh, have you? Are your brains intact? Have they melted yet? What? What's? What's been the source of agita, if there has been one, mm. on this wonderful tour? Um, you know, it's it 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 does feel like my brain has been. Um, you know, like like mind melt, like like some some Professor X or something has like come and like looked at me in the eyes, and now I'm like some kind of weird zombie. Or something. Dude, I do feel like that. Too. I did. I did just take a half an hour nap, so that was that's helpful. Oh, you refreshed. I'm, but but the thing is, it's as you know those days when you're kind of stranded, and you just keep plugging the phone, and then you have to use the phone, so you never get pretty much past sixty nine or seventy two percent full. That's kind of where we've been for the last two weeks. Seventy two percent key and peel is better than. Frankly, most people at a hundred percent. I right? would argue. We're looking at we're looking at looking at a hundred and one hundred forty four percent. So yeah, oh, that, that's good right? math. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so if, if, if our minds.
humans are together. Right, right. But that's yeah. if still, any one of us are a, a, a human and a half. <laughs> right, for most people. So, and I think a lot of it is sometimes in an interview, you're just speaking, and then you'll watch it back later and go, oh, no, I did. I answered the question. Because there's just like, there's like these new neural networks, yeah. are just, they're just rutted into our minds now. Right. They just answer the question. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah there, might be, there might be some stuff around it, some, right. some padding, some, some but padding. you get there. But we get to the essential thing eventually. Sometimes right. there aren't even actual questions. questions. Right, right. We, we're just That's my style. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the best possible kind of podcast. <laughs> um, uh, I love the, I love this movie. This movie is for many. For me, I feel like it's a callback to some of the movies I, I loved as a youth. I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of well, it's kind of like two idiots in the middle of like a Michael Bay movie in some in some respects. It's right. like Bad Boys. It's, it's like, like they were idiots. Yeah. yeah. If, if they were bad yeah. If, if they were idiots. When, meets uh, meets Three Amigos. Right. A little bit of that. Love the Three Amigos. Come a on. Bit yeah. of the yeah the um, imposter film. Mm-hmm. Um, we Foster's we great. we talk about New Jack City. Right. Um, definitely wanted to make a movie uh, in the in the g- g- general genre of like Raising Arizona or uh, True Romance. Yes. There's heart the, in it. Yeah, lots of heart. But then the tone, the tone still. Another thing is in the mixture. The tone harkens back to movies from the mid '80s. So right. Like Forty Eight Hours and. And Beverly Hills Cop, yep. where you kind of get that sense of it's not an action comedy so much as it is. You can take your pick what you want the movie to be. It's yes. either a comedy with real violence, right, or it's an action film with laughs in it, right. You know, because I, I, I this is just my own personal opinion. I've been I was discussing with this someone earlier this week that when we started calling things action comedies, they started to lose their way. Yeah. It didn't happen really to the late '90s or the aughts, but right. they started to lose their way. I think a little bit, and we're we're trying to harken back to that tone. What's the high water mark of, of of that genre? If there is a genre, Midnight Run. Midnight Run. Is, Midnight is Run is the high water movie. mark. Yeah, it, it, because it's it's and once again, you find yourself in a position where if you look at a lot of people in our cast, you find yourself in a position where they cast two amazing actors who happen to to give over give themselves over 100% to the genre they were in right. and that's what got the laughs yeah. not not them trying to be funny so well you, there's a the, the very heartfelt tale for Charles Grodin's character absolutely. and that for both of them I mean, oh, my favorite thing is this it's Jack Walsh putting the um, the watch to his ear right. that device that he can't get his daughter back and he wouldn't give up on uh, being righteous and then they kicked him out of the fort totally. all that stuff all that stuff in our movie is wrapped up in Keanu yeah it's mm-hmm. the, the cat represents all of that stuff and it's the only reason, it's the only impetus to move forward in the in the piece. It, I mean, is it important to have those kind of conversations? Because to some, it might sound sound weird or silly to kind of talk in kind of like that heady character arc stuff. Like at the end of the day, you you obviously want people to laugh in a film like this. But like, do you have to kind of lay that groundwork and kind of decide on the movie you're making before you can start to just throw out jokes and kind of figure that out? Yeah, I mean, that's how I tend to write a movie is... is uh plan it out and the same with sketch it's i like to know what the the project is before i even put pen to paper yeah now what will happen with a movie like this uh is you'll you'll do that and you'll write it and you'll write a draft and then you'll make you know have some realization some epiphany and uh a completely new thing will be born in this case keanu came from a later draft the the earlier draft was um, about Keegan's c- character Clarence and his cousin Rel, and they were going on this weekend to help find help Clarence find his inner badass. Got it. And uh, Keanu, you know, came to give my character a little bit more of a reason to be going on this journey too. But then we sort of realized, you know what, the kitten in the do rag 
Keanu, that that is the movie. That is the uh, the perfect uh, icon. Yeah. To take us through the movie, the perfect MacGuffin. Was 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 Clarence kind of a callback to what True Romance? Is there a little bit of that? There or? was. There was. Yeah. There, yeah. there was uh, a. Uh, purposeful yeah uh clarence shout out i didn't know that but i assumed it that yeah. it's the best kind of fish and also what a good archetype to use as a real person who's a fish out of water right so that once again you go back to that i'm hammering home that point about some movies that were kind of happening in the late 90s and the aughts where you go no i'm sorry they would have shot him in the head by now <laughs> you know right, it's, right. as opposed to three amigos where there's something about three amigos about those guys it's about their confidence in themselves yep. where you go oh half of the time they don't know they're in the trouble that they're in right so, so there's that sense of there's that sense of it as well so growing up were you guys would you classify yourselves as comedy nerds or film nerds or both like what was the first kind of thing that you nerded out on or got obsessed uh, obsessive with oh wow i mean both both, both i think for me certainly a comedy nerd first mm-hmm. so in those formative years it's that time where not only was I sneaking Playboys, I was also sneaking my dad's prior cassettes right. when I shouldn't be. And and But watching my father laugh was a big thing for me. To watch my father laugh at All in the Family, to watch him laugh at uh, a Bill Cosby special, to watch him yep. laugh at those things made me go, what's this thing and why does it yield such much so much power over this uh, demigod right. <laughs> in my life? <laughs> y- you know? And yeah. for, you, for you, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, I I was yeah full kind of full time nerd. I I was into role playing games and like you know fantasy films and things like that. You know, I uh, were you the dungeon master? What was your what was your go, yeah? We trade out that dungeon mm. master role. No, I, Have you played D and D with Vin Diesel? Is that a life goal? Because he's a he's a reputed huge D and D fan. Really? Did you know that? No. Diesel Vin Diesel Vin Diesel's Did, no hardcore. He wrote like the introduction to like like D and D books. Yeah, the, like, he, oh, that's his thing. That's his thing. Yeah, I would love to play that. You know, come on. It would be, I mean, it would be so <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm gonna be a cleric. <laughs> I want to be a cleric. This is my Force Whitaker impression. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, that would be absolutely hilarious. It's like, dude, you you realize you are, like, you you are the witch hunter. You are Riddick, and you you yeah. have you have like fifty million dollars. What are you gonna role play as? Yeah, once you're bigger and more powerful than the creature you're creating <laughs> in your imagination, there's something that's a little off. What are you gonna be? You won life. You can't. No, but I, I get it. There's there's something about escape I, and you know video games for a while, but comedy was always a thing too. I, I loved yeah. uh, sketch comedy, Living Color, Saturday Night Live, yeah, uh, Deaf Comedy Jam. Uh, yeah, it was it was all about uh, it was all about you TV. Think, was that all hitting you at the same time? Was yeah, that all, all kind of hitting you at the same time? All kind of hitting yeah. at the same time. I, I went through. I went deep into Aliens. Mm, the yeah, movie Aliens, the, the James Cameron. Okay, yeah, 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 that was a that was a real deep. I had a face hugger over my bed. <laughs> did you really? I did. Oh, I, I don't know that. Um, all the all the the comics magazines. I, I was bonkers. So what, uh, let's talk like again because this is kind of keep, keeping in the theme of the film. The action heroes that resonated with you. So were you Team Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, Seagal? Where were you? And where where where's your allegiance when you think eighties nineties action heroes? For me, it would it would definitely one movie that always sticks with me is Commando. Mm-hmm. And and and, be, and because it, and I think it has to do mostly with just being just a little bit older than Jordan. So he was. I had a, a very solid diet. If I remember Raw Deal. Oh yeah, Raw Deal. You should not drink and bake. One it, of the great it, yes, lines mm-hmm. ever in a film. Yeah, Raw Deal, Commando, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Total the original Total Recall, uh, Cinema Total Recall. Obviously not literature, but right. but the, the, so he was right in my purview. But then for me, the big thing was. 
I was a thriller guy. Like I'm thinking of the movies that stuck with me sure. the most. I'm I was just gaga for De Niro. So things like Angel Heart and those oh, kind yeah. of thrillers. Th- those were the, and I was right in high school, like right in high school when all that was happening. And I, I I had an inkling about wanting to be an actor in my formative years. But right in that moment, that was it. I'm like I want to be that guy. Yeah. I want to be Robert De Niro. But is but but it, he never played anything close to an action hero until Midnight Run. Right. So so right. it was but it was mostly those guys and then seeing really dangerous people in comedies mm-hmm. so any you know everything was legit in ghostbusters the, right. the, the scariness was scary and and um but i'm trying to think other heroes i mean i was a big Schwarzenegger guy and then of course die hard was the greatest thing that had ever happened in the history of the world it still might be yeah yeah it's the, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean that was that was uh, uh mclean was the was McLean. the thing but you know ripley linda uh, uh, uh sigourney uh, yeah. yeah sigourney also um T2. T2, Linda Hamilton. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- th- those were it. I, w- I was d- crazy about um, uh, 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 Thelma and Louise. Yeah. And also just absolutely bonkers over Point Break. Totally. Point Break, I say this all the time, but it's always, I just I think at every moment of the day it bears repeating. When you have a set piece with people pursuing just someone in a the house. The chase, right? Yeah. yeah. When someone throws a grown dog at you, <laughs> that's the coolest thing I may have ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Like in the same scene, you get a, a Rottweil gets thrown at you yeah. and someone tries to slice your face up with a lawnmower. And ends with a guy shooting guns uh, built into the air for no reason. It's, exactly. It, for no reason. <laughs> and, and it, it just... Um, the, the, but now, getting into the late 90s, I think The Matrix is just a seminal film. Yeah. Because everything about it reminds me... Everything about The Matrix reminds me how Jordan writes. Because it go, cause you were asking that question earlier. And the big thing is, I, I attribute a lot of how he writes about getting the architecture and the groundwork down to his love of horror films. Right. Because you're constantly... Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. You're constantly thinking about, now, why wouldn't they leave? Now, why wouldn't right. they leave? It's that good old fashioned. It goes back to Richard Pryor. It's yeah. that Richard Pryor joke, you know. Goodbye, <laughs> leaving the, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you can solve that problem, and then another thing, my old roommate from graduate school, Tyler, said something. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I thought you'd find this interesting. In a thriller like Dead Again, something like a movie like Dead that, Again. Yeah, right? Yeah. Dead Again, great movie, yeah. great concept, but. In movies like that, my friend Tyler used to always say, I want to find a movie where there's not a coincidence yeah. that triggers you into the third act. Right. Like, what movie happens where there's not a coincidence? Right. Uh, you have to have a twist. No coincidence in Sixth Sense. Right. No coincidence, if I'm correct, in Usual Suspects. Right. Because the overall thing was already set into place. Right. Right. So in Keanu, there's a couple of delicious surprises at the end where if you had any sense that you were like, but now why would she? Oh, I see. Happens right at the end. of Right, right, right. And so, yeah. And you're coming up, Jordan, you're coming off of directing your first film, which is a horror film. It's a horror film. And and, and I would think you're confronting some of the stuff that Keegan talks about. And it's it's challenging if you're if you're obeying that kind of law of like, let's think logically and let's not just like throw in coincidence and and kind of uh, treating your audience intelligently yeah i mean it's it's it really is it's the bread and butter of every good movie uh you know i I really talk about comedy and horror as having a lot to do with each other yeah very very similar and you the the big thing for me is you to ground it um something's only as funny or as scary as it is played realistically right i think mm-hmm. and even you know even when you talk about something like looney tunes which is hilarious obviously 
um, and isn't necessarily realistic, but it has rules. Right. And it has, uh, you know, you you can you can walk out and uh, off a cliff and stand there for a couple seconds and then you fall. Right. But that's kind of like a con- consistent. It's a, yeah, rule. totally. You can count on that happening every that, time you walk Warner off a cliff. Brothers yeah, universe, exactly. That is reality. Yeah, yeah. So there's right. this. Yeah, there's a reality. There's physics to it. Yeah. The rules you're obeying, even if they're absurd. Exactly. <laughs> and then you know, so we had this. There was this whole uh, horror movie renaissance with, uh, you know, the found footage right. thing, and that I think that really resonated because, first of all, all of a sudden, video is the way we actually consume life and we actually uh, record life, and that became more uh, grounded and relatable. And uh, and so when you applied that to these movies, you know, the Blair Witches and the Paranormals, yeah. all of a sudden, pe- it just feels like, oh, my God, that's that is real. That's real stuff. Right. Um, you know, I think, you know, Psycho sort of started a renaissance of, you know, they're just talking about a crazy person. Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm, that's that's mm-hmm. too real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anything that I'm, I'm doing in either those, those genres, I'm going to be it's going to be taking an absurd crazy notion and then just applying as much reality to it as possible i, I want to talk about sort of like the, the arc of the last few years for you guys because you've obviously uh, achieved such phenomenal success with the tv show and i'm, I'm wondering like th- how you kind of rationalize it all in your mind like do you feel like you got funnier or people came around to you do you know what i mean like are you substantially funnier and smarter than you were 10 years ago or did it just take the right vehicle and the right timing for you to have this kind of moment you've been experiencing for a while now I think it's the latter. I, I, I mean, there's growth. There's always growth because you start, as you get older, you start to notice patterns yeah. and notice what works and what doesn't work. So there's process of elimination that just happens by growth as a human. But the other thing is, I, 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 when, 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 when the idea came up about us being partners, that was a no-brainer for me. I was watching him come into his own he was already 85 percent there right before we started key and peel i'm like oh i'm an idiot if i don't if i don't if i'm not going to write and collaborate with this guy right. it was it was a foregone conclusion so so to me it's it's more the latter than the former because th- there's training that we had it's like if you never if cirque du soleil was only happening in montreal mm-hmm. and then finally someone had the money to have it tour you're gonna go i'm sorry what just happened right he just leapt from the what to the where onto her head and then balanced that's not a possible thing that humans can do it's why it's why crouching tiger hidden dragon won an oscar i'd been watching those movies for 15 years and then everybody in the stage just collapses and goes god i'm like over a mo- over wire work i've been seeing wire work for years so i think it's the way we were trained and our perspective crashed together and then we were given a vehicle to, to show it to a widespread group of people. But th- that's that's my opinion. You mm-hmm. know? Did, did you guys ever, f- kind of, for lack of a better term, have your kind of like Dave Chappelle near meltdown moment where like it was too much, where it felt like everybody was revering you and the pressure got to be a little bit overwhelming? Or did it feel like it was manageable uh, throughout the five-year run? It was manageable. Uh, we, yeah. You know, I think the, uh, you know, the big difference between Chappelle and us is we have each other yeah. you know right. so that's you know I think you know toward the end it almost if you know you always hear he sort of was grappling with who's laughing and who's right. the show for and who's and almost okay. who can he trust like he was isolating himself maybe a little bit too from right yeah and, and for Keegan and I we can kind of focus on making each other laugh yeah and that's that can be the beginning and end of it yeah and it's like who you know if the 
if the white guy in if the if, if the racist white guy somewhere in the world is also giggling, it doesn't matter. Right. If the uh, you know if anyone else is laughing, it doesn't matter if the you know. Right. Who's to say the racist white guy through laughter will not have some iota of it, an epiphany? Sure. Who's to say that won't happen? And um, but at the end of the day, like Jordan says, if you can objectively look at your, if you can take a step to just kind of objectively look at your job, yeah, and you don't get bogged down with going, oh, I'm being irresponsible, I'm being irresponsible. You really just go, are they laughing? Good, done. Right. One plus one equals two. Done. Right. Yeah. yeah. We, could, we could go crazy trying to police who's laughing or and why and why like, they're laughing that way yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 do you guys now now coming off of the show do you guys like own the rights to all those characters can you do with them as you please or is it hell no, no. Yeah. <laughs> no so, those are viacom properties gotcha. Uh, yes gotcha yeah. so is that is that a, a somewhat of a headache in terms of like oh we created this great thing that legitimately we feel there's there's more to do um or are the powers that be willing and able to kind of work with you on these kind of things kind of work i mean it yeah, does I, it does sort of futz with uh the our incentive to go back there right. a little bit but um you know that's not to say that'll stop us uh a hundred percent um and but uh, you know also we we're we're wired to be looking to do the next thing and right. surprise and you know we we resisted the uh recurring character um uh, well, like for two seasons for for a couple of seasons yeah, yeah, yeah. and then eventually start finding some sketches and realizing oh you know what we've already come up with the perfect character to yeah. execute this this game this comedic game yeah so um yeah it's it's i think it i think ultimately it's it's a good thing that we don't because we could just spend the rest of our lives playing in that world in that sandbox we created and there's clearly it seems to be a reason if you just look at the history of successful sketch shows that they've run two or three or four or sometimes five seasons, seasons. yeah longer than they should and you guys are smart guys you were probably cognizant of both the history and your own creative output and and knowing yeah you don't want to pour it all into four minute sketches there are other ambitions yeah it's like if, if people if if we went off the air and people had that feeling of what no yeah. i need more That's i feel good. like That's if great. we have that yeah. we'll, we'll be able to rock forever with that yeah why would you not want that or you know it, it, it would be the same thing if we didn't Let's say we made this movie and it went really well, and then didn't make it, and then just totally Terrence Malicked it, and didn't make a movie for seven years. Right. You know what I mean? Together, which 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 would then us be would just be us falling into the um into the Pixar pattern, right? Because that would just mean that the movie was we, we knew the movie was going to kill yeah. when it came out because if you if you allow yourself to take that time, right? And and the other thing is what I thought you were about to say, Josh, was we've also seen that you see the track record of movies where the star is a sketch character, right? And and how does that work? And, you know, our toes right now are dipped in that water. Yeah. But it's going to be, I'd rather it take four years and have it be right and have one say, oh, my God, they did it. Yeah, Gene yeah, Peele yeah. did it again. They took a, a recurring character and made it work. How did they do that? Right. You, you know, there, so you either, you can do two things. You can look to the success of how somebody's done it in the past, i.e. Jake and Elwood Blues. Right. Um or you, insert five SNL things that just didn't work for whatever right, reason. Yeah and, yeah, and try to figure out, you know, what's, yeah. the, what's the difference there. The other thing is, that, if I may, that's interesting about Jake and Elwood Blues. There was never, ever a Blues Brothers sketch. Right. They appeared in, a, it wrapped in Mystique, 
performed a song and then disappeared. Right. So your your imagination could could spread and spread and spread about what their backstory. Yeah. Was. Part of the beauty of that movie was like it's a whole new world a you've whole, never possibly, or if you've imagined it, maybe you imagined something different. Of, of course. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So so you know, it it it, it only behooves us to think in the way that we're already the way that our circuitry already works i mean do you coming off of this of this film do you have the same kind of like do you feel like you have the same mastery and confidence in this form now as you had on you clearly had sketch on lockdown you kind of by the end or even a season in you knew what you were doing do you feel like this is apples and oranges do you feel like you now kind of like have the tools and know what's required in a feature um, film you know it's very different i think uh, i think we're I, I i don't think we can say we're we've we're masters of mm-hmm. film yet yeah. you know this it's it's the beginning of our journey we're um we're definitely very very proud of the way this one turned out um sketch is uh something we you know we had a lot of practice in a lot yeah, it's more than way over ten thousand hours <laughs> right yeah right, I mean? right, right. yeah it's sketch right so right. uh and uh so i think the, the sort of the tricks of that form the the I, I think there was something we we came in very confidently, feeling like who's got who's got the who's logged in the t- the hours right. at this format that that we have, and we we basically were able to just take our our favorite elements from all the best sketch shows and right. blend them into one, and you know vague elements like always keep the audience on their toes. You know you have you have this you have this uh, format. That if you use it to your advantage, it can be the best thing ever. But, but you have to do that, and you have to realize, yeah, we're we th- this format is about uh, vignettes. It's about small these short sketches and seeing seven of them in one episode. So better make sure you go to seven p- completely different places. Right. And even after the first six sketches, you want that last one to blow people's minds that, oh my God, now they're doing a pirate shanty? What's going on here? <laughs> mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, the the, the mo- movies are is, is so exciting for us and so fun because we're such fans. Um, and uh, and we, we, we had so much fun on this film and we, we learned so much. Yeah. Um, but we have uh, we have more to do. I, I would think that part of the excitement and conundrum or headache of coming off of such a massive success is is I mean the great part is you have so much opportunity and so much thrown at you, right. frankly, for the not first time, but like more so than ever, probably sure. in your careers. That's, right? that's true. Yeah. But there's also this onus on you to to make the right choices and to say you're probably saying no, frankly, to a lot of things. Is that sort of like is that its own headache in a way in terms of um, being selective and not I'm sure you offered a thousand things to hosts or put your attach your name to um, like how do you choose where to throw your time money and headspace at this point well you have to go I think I feel that you have to go back to the why. You have to keep going back to the why. Yeah. Sometimes I, I, can't, I can't speak for Jordan, but sometimes I get in a place where my nose is on the grindstone so closely that I don't pull back and look at the entire mill. And, and I need to pull back and say, okay, go outside and look at the sign on the door of the mill right? and figure out what's the name of this mill and what do you make here? <laughs> so, so that you're, you're doing the why first, then the how, then the what. Yeah. And um, just, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, is that it's that the golden circles. It's, it's, right. you have to have a sense of what the why is. And some days I get, it's a bit of a challenge for me. I get lost in the why. Right. And it, at the end of the day, one thing that's helpful with that is always going, how much money do you really need? 
Is is all this money over here that is potential worth your fulfillment? Right. Your your artistic fulfillment and your and your overall happiness as a human being. Yeah. That's part of the why. Yeah. That's one ingredient of the why. Yeah. So for me it, it gets it's getting easier to say no, but I have lots of representatives in my life who <laughs> have Constant. representative waving in the back yes constant headaches <laughs> like why would you say yes to <laughs> well, what about for you jordan is it again I, I would think like you know everybody struggles to a certain degree early in their career it must be kind of a little bit of a, a mind fuck at some point to be able to to have to say no to things that maybe 10 years ago you would have killed to do you know it's it's really a it's pretty uh, liberating yeah you know it's it's a good thing it's 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 what we you know, we worked hard to kind of get to this point, so there, there's something very, uh, very nice about it, actually. Yeah. I mean, my my kind of thing is, if uh, you know, the early in the career, you do a lot of, you know, you recognize that fame and uh, being recognizable and uh, uh, having a brand of some sort is is so much of the currency that's going to get you more work and allow you to do what you want to do. Right. Um, so now we kind of have that, and uh, and and so you know my thing is you know I I don't I don't I I make a cut off of those 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 projects those shows that are. It's like the only thing you really get out of it is maybe you get a little bit more exposure. Yeah. Um, and uh, because because yeah, ultimately it's like we can we can we can do our the things we've been waiting to do our whole lives now. Are, are there? I mean, you know, this is this is obviously a wholly original property that you've created here. Uh, that being said, like we were we were just shooting the shit for a while, like geeking out on like pop culture that yeah. we both grew up on early on. Um, like, is there? I know Police Academy is something that you guys have some involvement in. Mm -hmm. Is there like a, a franchise, a property that like if they came calling, you would be like, I need to get, I need to be involved in some way. That would just be wish fulfillment for you. I mean, that that is the that's the toughest part is when something comes along that is in that category yeah. you're talking about where it hits you, you in the heart you, as a kid or something. Yeah. yeah you it's love like the original so much. It's like, well now um, I can't say no. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a ter terribly huge fan of the, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. <laughs> if they asked me to be in one of them, I would have to be in one. You just, just like <laughs> genetically, yeah. you wouldn't be incapable of saying no. I'd be incapable <laughs> of saying no to that just because my heart and soul, my childhood is all wrapped around right. that, you know. If you, if you, my only caveat would be that it can't be mocap. If you asked me to play a shrub on Tatooine, I would do it. <laughs> If you ask me to do anything other than motion capture in a right. Star Wars film, Why don't you I do the mo -cap? would do it. No mocap. What you, we've had, we've had mocap issues in the past wait, on Star Wars. Star Wars. Talking, yes, we're talking yeah, Jar Jar. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, I guess Lupita's character yeah. in the new one is pretty good. Mm -hmm. that, I like yeah, that character. Yeah, yeah. That character, but the Jar Jar still the stays. Jar Jar stuff is it's 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 in there. It's in my it's definitely it's, it's like halfway to the hilt in my crawl. <laughs> yeah, it's st still. But then, the, um, you know what? I don't know if you know there was um. A series of books in the 80s called Elric of Melnabone. I don't. Okay. Elric of Melnabone. Okay. And his other name, which was very unsettling, was called Elric the Woman Slayer. And he sure. was like this Nordic Nordic demigod guy. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, I always thought that's... I, I remember it was the first time in my life, because it was just starting to happen, right. I read these thick 
novels, and then they turned the novels into graphic novels. So I read a lot of independent comics, like right. um, um, it was just my you know first exposure to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right. and um, uh, uh, what was it? There was another one called Radioactive Prepubescent Hamsters that <laughs> okay. did not take off. Um, <laughs> but um, there was a, a series. There was a, a series in the comic Eclipse Comics mm-hmm. called Scout. Yeah, and it was about it was about a Native American who traveled across the country, and he would be on these peyote trips, and he would see these monsters. They were humans who were um, screwing up water reclamation li- rights, or they were right. running uh, 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 drug rings or human slavery rings. But he would do drugs and somehow feel that they were bad people. So the comic book would play out uh, much like The Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's always stuck with me. Why have you not optioned this? I know, I should. I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jordan's like, look, are you looking at that Willow? Yeah, who's, who signed that Willow? That's, that's Val Kilmer. Oh, my God. Well, you, got, you got Mad Martin up on that Willow. I I knew it was only a matter of time before he saw that comic book and something. I, I, I didn't mention anything earlier because I was, I was noticed he didn't notice. And I went, I'm going to let him have that surprise. He, yeah, that's please a source of great pride. That's Peck, amazing. Peck, he wrote. I mean, that, that, that made an impact. Come on. Ooh, that was great. You know, it's funny because uh, you, you know, you, you're, you're a couple years older than a me. A couple years, yeah. We discovered that we went to the same junior high school, actually. Yes. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, basically, I've noticed, you know, and Keegan's a few years older than us, right. a couple years older than us, but I noticed there's this very interesting uh, pop culture divide where, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. it's like, Keegan, you, when Willow came out, it's like the feeling was like, okay, this is supposed to be the next Star Wars. You were smart enough or wise enough or maybe not that, but like you had. Here's it was what a flop. Right. Yes. right, right. It, it was a flop. Right. Here's what I, I never was, knew that. But right, it, exactly. it kind of was our Star Wars in a way. Right. In a way. Right. <laughs> it was a medieval J.O.T. Star Wars. Right. The, my thing is I'm, because I'm, because I'm, so how old are you, Josh? I am 40. Okay. So I'm five years older than you. Mm. So the thing that's interesting is I saw Willow knew that girls in my high school who had seen it liked it and I had to figure out if there was a girl I could take to see it. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. More about. important strategy than us. Right. Yeah. yeah. But but or just certainly a different strategy. Yes. And remember one of our EPs on Key and Peel, uh, Jay Martell, who's written for the wrote for the National National Lampoon yeah, yeah. and and worked on Michael Moore's shows, The Awful Truth and the what's the other TV Nation. TV Nation, yeah, yeah, sure. right? Was a writer on those shows. Yeah, yeah. And contributes to the New Yorker these days. He's a writer, you know. But it's interesting to talk to him. Mm. He's fifty-seven. So if you talk to him about Star Wars, he was fourteen when Star Wars came out. So he was. He thought also. Well, this. I, there's, there's no way it'll be better than Logan's Run. Right. <laughs> this is great, but it's no silent running. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, which is so funny. Yeah, yeah. When you think about something like Star Wars, I look at Jordan's career as he moves forward, and I always think about. It's like. I'm being very presumptuous right now, but if Keanu does the best it can possibly do, yeah, I look forward to. Well, I, I, I hope I'll be involved. <laughs> but the way that Lucas did Star Wars, but if you look, you ever seen the movie THX eleven thirty eight? Sure, I love. This THX is your THX, you think? I feel like this could be. Let's hope that this is our Star Wars <laughs> that affords us to make a THX eleven thirty eight. Okay, you're going and more, exper- you're go more experimental. more experimental okay. and see. You, you see that movie? You've seen that movie? I've never seen it. Donald uh-huh. Pleasance, Robert Duvall, um, and not not um, 
Shirley Knight, not Shirley Knight, but I can't remember the woman. I'm blanking was. on the female lead. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, you've been told futuristic that, yeah. dystopia, blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah. It's terrific. It's and it, and it reminds me. It's like an earlier version of the movie Equilibrium with Christian Bale. Right. And <laughs> a better version, probably. Yeah, a, a better, with version, all due respect. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. That, there's a grit and a darkness, and I can't like we do this all the time. He's like, mm-hmm. you've got to see this. Yeah, you know, totally. I've got to see this. You know, yeah, we'll all come together and watch Willow again and again together. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, um, yes. Before you guys run, uh, if these questions weren't stupid enough, I've got even dumber questions in this Indiana Jones fedora. Yes. Would you care to pick out a random okay. question or two? You're going to ask in the fedora? or we, we, oh, You're going to pick it out, and you're going to ask yourself. Question. All right. Okay. Right. You can both take whatever you want. Okay. Keegan. My question, Josh Horowitz says, yes. when was the last time I cried? Jordan was there. He witnessed it Wait, first what did, hand. did Jordan do it to you? No, he didn't. <laughs> we were on the plane flying here to New York to finish oh, up yeah. our press. And here's what was amazing. So I, I had not yet seen inside out so i'm watching inside out he said to me like a month ago he goes five minutes in scoosh it's just gonna start coming oh that early i was i I thought it was gonna be bing bong i thought it was gonna take a little while bing bong got me hard (laughs) and it got me so hard that jordan jordan's sitting next to me Jordan, there's a person in the room hasn't seen Bing Bong yet. Hasn't seen, so I won't, but you know the scene and you know the sequence. Of course. So, so Jordan well, I was, is I was watching watch, me. I was watching the screen the whole time because I knew when the Bing Bong went off, I was going to do this. So my man, he does, I can't really do it, but this is what Jordan did. He's watching and watching me. Then it, then it starts happening. He starts weeping. <laughs> I'm weeping. And then he turns to me and he goes, right, dude? I'm like, yeah, dog. Got that Bing Bong on. Got that Bing Bong. <laughs> and we're both. And I'm, ha- I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like smiling and weeping at the same time yeah, yeah. because it's so fucking well done <laughs> that you can. Nothing's been better done in a movie in 2015. Pretty awesome. And, and you're yeah. just going. And so that was that was the last time I cried. It was Bing, literally Bing Bong. Se- 40, 48 hours 48 ago. You got 48 hours. You got Bing Bonged hard. Yeah, I got Bing Bonged <laughs> hard. <laughs> Okay, my favorite Halloween costume. Yes. Um, okay, I was a poker table one year. <laughs> As a kid, uh, my mom got. He came with it. She, uh, we, we, it was a round piece of cardboard put over my head and sure. neck, and then a red and white checkered yeah. uh, tablecloth. That's amazing. Uh, there was a, a, uh, a plate of pretzels on my head. <laughs> Uh, beer cards, chips right. were all on the table. Oh and, my god! Uh, I had problems fitting through doors. Trigger, trigger, trigger. Maybe slightly trick. easier than a roulette wheel at the at the uh, best. Slightly, maybe? slightly, slightly <laughs> easier, but harder in that it's a square. Or was it, it round? Was, it was round. It was round. round. It was round. round. Table. Okay. It was kind of like a mop. So soft so. edges at the very least. <laughs> Oh man! Well, Look for Jordan this Halloween as um, a gambling table of TBD. You know, we'll see. This time, whatever, perhaps whatever. this time you get narrow on the side <laughs> so you get through the door. Gotta stroll through the casino, see what. Uh, yeah, what the hot what game is this year? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's good. <laughs> it's good to have you guys in here. Best of luck Josh, on Keanu. See it, uh, it's it's a great film, and hopefully many more collaborations to come. It comes out on April 29th. I, I'll be there. 2016. In case anybody wait, that's this year. Wait, that's, that's this year. It's literally like 48 hours from now. Speaking of. Films that have a similar tone. (laughs) If you like 48 hours. You're going to love this kitten. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, guys. Thanks, Josh. Good to see you. 
Hi, everybody. This is David Gregory, and I want to tell you about my new podcast, The David Gregory Show. It is that easy to remember. And it's me talking to all sorts of really interesting people, getting them off their regular script into deeper, more personal conversations, like Ariana Huffington about parenthood. I think especially for mothers, they take the baby out and they put the guilt in. Or Bravo TV's Andy Cohen on being less afraid. Look, I'm a single gay dude on a late night talk show. If I can't overshare, who can? We'll have a new program every Friday. So go to iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast app and download The David Gregory Show and eavesdrop on really cool conversations. Thanks for listening. All right, next up on the podcast, hopefully you guys enjoyed the uh, comedic stylings and smart witticisms and pithy witticisms of Key and Peele. Again, check out Keanu now in theaters. But uh, as a bonus today, we also have a really great conversation with Eric Bana, who um, I was really excited to talk to because he's had very had a very interesting career. For those that don't know, he started out in comedy. Did you know that, Sammy? No. Yeah. Wow. He had a very big career in Australia. He had his own show, The Eric Bana Show. What? He, I swear to God, I swear. <laughs> to God, go on YouTube. He did impressions of like Schwarzenegger and Cruz and like he was a big deal in Australia as a comedian and then made this shift with this very good film called Chopper years ago um, and then it was off to the races soon after came Black Hawk Down and Hulk and Munich had this great run Munich. and and Munich, I mean, heavy stuff. And that, Munich. And, and, I mean, let's talk about Munich. Munich. And, that, and now he's really settled into kind of like a really reliable, interesting career where I feel like he's he's kind of out of the rat race, and but he's kind of settled into kind of a groove as both a character actor and leading man. You know, he was the bad guy in Star Trek. He did a, his own documentary that he directed. And uh, as I said earlier, he's now starring with Ricky Gervais. He's Return also friends with uh, Hugh Jackman. He, of, well, they all... They all like they all the, know each other. The Aussie crew, right? I mean, they all We're like together. such a clique. Ridiculous. <laughs> Something in the water. This guy, by the way, when he sat down, I was like, oh, you're a super good looking dude. I guess I understand why you have starred in movies directed by Steven Spielberg and Ang Lee. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, he's a nut, he's like cut from the same cloth yeah. as my immortal beloved. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and I should say, like like you, a very charming man and a good sense of humor. So um, first time I got a chance to have an extended conversation with him and uh, uh, really happy to do so. Um, so without any further ado. Does he do any impressions? Um, I don't think. Don't he... ruin it. Don't okay, ruin yeah. it. We'll get it. Stay <laughs> tuned. <laughs> um, <laughs> remember to check out Special Correspondence on Netflix right now and enjoy this conversation with Eric Banna. Eric Banna. Banna. How do you, can you say it, Australian? Eric Bana. That was so good. Was it? Okay. <laughs> I feel like maybe. I don't know. Oh, look, it's Eric Bana. He just walked into my office. Fancy that. Should we confess that the first two minutes of, of brilliant conversation is lost to the ether? You should confess. I don't think I've got anything to confess. No. <laughs> Eric was great. Eric gave a great introduction, and I didn't record it. But um, suffice it to say, he's here. He made it. I'm here. And it's very hard to recreate that magic. No, so we're not just going to have to forget that didn't happen. But, we're, but I will recreate my compliments on the film. Special correspondence, you and the brilliant uh, Ricky Gervais. Thank um, you. This is a fun one, coming to Netflix very soon. Um, that's going to be kind of the, the, the call that every actor kind of dreams of it would certainly oh. make my career if i ever heard ricky want to work with me my god absolutely i mean i think there's i mean if you're being really honest there's probably only room for a few times in your career where 
um, you know, you really have to pinch yourself. And the first day of working with Ricky on the set was definitely one of those. I mean, when you're a huge fan of someone and suddenly you're working with them, it's, it is it is slightly bizarre. I mean, you get over it very quickly, but you do allow yourself, you got to allow yourself that moment and go and, yeah, this is this is this is pretty cool. So how how does it come? Does it come straight from Ricky, or is it? You can come in. Thanks. Uh, thank it did. you. It came in. Thank you very much. Here's the ice and here's the oh, great. Thanks thank so you. much. No it came in. Uh, we're at the same agency, and 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 someone called me up and said, uh, "Who works with Ricky? Um, Ricky's got this new project. Blah blah blah. I'm going to send you the script." And I thought, that's actually a cool thing about sharing an agency is I get to read what Ricky's doing next. You yeah, know? forget even if I'm involved. In no, it, I had no idea that I was going to be involved. <laughs> and I said, how am I getting to read this? And they're like, well, Ricky wants to know if you want to play Frank. And my first reaction was, he knows who I am. <laughs> he knows He knows who I am. Uh, so I was already happy with I was just happy that Ricky had heard of me. Um, and then I re- read the script and realized that it was like a buddy comedy and, that, and it was like him and I, um, for a majority of the film, I just... Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I loved the script, thank God. And it was, yeah, it was a very quick yes. I, I was watching an interview that you guys actually just did on the Today Show this morning, and I was, I was surprised. That, is this true that he wasn't even aware of your comedy background? That can't be. Is he playing? No, it's true. It's true. And, and I wasn't aware of that fact until after we met and had lunch. And then I, thought, I wasn't sure if he was taking the, to, taking the piss or whether he was telling the truth. Then I was, no, he's telling the truth, which was the greatest thing for me to hear because it just kind of freed me up and made me realize that I can just go and, you know, I, I mean, I realized that for the film to be funny, I just had to do Frank well, right. you know. And You're then, almost in your own drama in a way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then by, by recognizing that, you then leave room for the two of you to be funny together. Yeah. But if you set out for Frank to be funny, it would have been disastrous. Right. Um, and so I think it probably was a, an advantage because maybe if he had known about my comedy background, he might have been scared that I was going to come in and try, try and be funny. Right. So then, you know, we just we just found a, a happy medium where then we started bouncing off each other and I think the film's, you know, better for it. Yeah. So th- the stuff that occurs between us just kind of happened organically rather than being sort of forced. Right. Now, he, he um, of course, wrote this one, directed this one. He's a joy to be around. He's an easy laugher, to say the least. I know yeah. just from my experience. Can it, get, can it get in the way? Does the piercing, haunting laugh of Ricky Gervais haunt your dreams sometimes? <laughs> no. I mean, it gets, it gets in his way because he's the director and the writer <laughs> and the producer. So, he would waste his own time laughing, uh, which, was, which was good for me because I'm a laugher on set. And so, that's sort of, again, that sort of took the pressure off and I realized that it was, you know, that I'd never get in trouble for it. So. Right. It's it's one of these fun films in that it's kind of like built on a snowballing lie, basically, that just kind of gets insanely out of hand. Um, is that something that, I mean, to relate it to an actor's career, did you ever do the thing, the lying on your resume, basically, on your skill set in terms of getting a job? Oh, you, we all do that. I mean, there's that, there's a hilarious, sorry, I'm just raising my, <laughs> which one? Hang on. Um, there's that hilarious form that everyone fills out when they're beginning that, you know, it's like grade yourself on a level of one to five in the following 650 activities. <laughs> and, of course, you can skydive and win. I mean, everyone's James Bond when they're filling out that. <laughs> exactly. they're, they're all retired stuntsmen, you know. So, um, is anyone, one skill jumped to mind that got you into trouble at some point? Or no, al- although the irony was that, you know, 
I've done, you know, lucky enough to have done a lot of different things and I've actually had to call upon a lot of the things that I've had to, would have to have lied about. You know, can you ride a horse? Yes, never ridden a horse before. Can you fight? Yes, never fought before. Can you, <laughs> you know, sword fight? Yes, of course. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> what's what's the what's the joy of, of of this character beyond just the interplay with Ricky? I mean, I, even the opening moments of the scene of the film really set the character, like just the swagger he has yeah. down the street. It's like, okay, I, I get this guy, I know this guy. Um, There's nothing more fun than playing arrogance for real, right. not tongue in cheek arrogance, but total, complete self belief, dick arrogance <laughs> is so much fun. Um, and like Lack I say, when you're not playing it for last, when you're playing, you know, like Frank really thinks he is the man, you yeah. know. Um, so I think committing to that was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Where did you shoot this all in one place or where We you shot between you and I. We, the film set in New York. Yeah. Uh, we shot in Toronto. Did you? Okay. But then we did come here. We did come here. We crossed the border. I was going to say. And okay. we did a few days. We did some, you know, the, the obligatory pickups on the streets of New York and, okay. um, so most of what you see on the streets of Manhattan is is real. Well, try like a film festival didn't didn't kick you out. They 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 allowed you here. They you passed the threshold of being a New York film. Is that the threshold? I, I, I guess so. I, don't, I know. don't know about that. But um, <laughs> I've been here with films that weren't shot um, in New York. I love the festival actually. I really do. It's yeah. um, I think it's in all honesty, it's one of the true festivals. Um, I love the programming. There's a kind of lack of arrogance to the programming. It's my fourth film that I've been here with. And yeah, uh, yeah I think it's a great festival. Are, are you a consumer of film? Or are you, I mean, I know you, you've got kids, you're a busy mm. guy with your own work, but like, do you make a habit of trying to catch things, especially at a film festival where you're working, but are you able to see other things? Is that uh, Not in this case. I dip in and out. I, I go through active periods of non-film watching. Mm-hmm. And then I go through <laughs> periods of, of binging. Um, and that works for me. I, and I guess it's that thing of like, because my life at home is so completely normal and different from my working life, I, I then don't even really want to watch movies as well. So I tend yeah. to go through, you know, I'll go through months where I won't even see a film and then I'll sort of binge on, on yeah. a bunch of stuff. But um, yeah, I try to try to take a break from it. Well, but so uh, give me the sense of growing up with the first films, first actors that resonated with you, maybe even before you knew you wanted to make a go of it. Well, I guess early on, I mean, well, for a start, my uncle used to sneak me into the drive-in when I was a kid. So I, I started out watching way too many R-rated films when he was babysitting. Um, and then obviously the stuff that I was allowed to watch was a lot of, a lot of comedies, you know, so I grew up with, you know, a lot of the, the, the classic, comedies in the early 80s and mid 80s and was a huge fan of people like eddie murphy and richard sure. Pryor, and um so I had a lot of comedic influence early on um and then you know i was born in 68 so all of 70s films were the stuff that i grew up with like you know the godfathers and um you know uh one flavor the cuckoo's nest and um uh dog day afternoon you know yeah, movies yeah, like that yeah. so they were heavy influences but then being from Australia, obviously Mel Gibson was a big influence, right. you know, because he was an Australian guy who was on screen not as an Australian guy, you know, as just an actor. Right. He wasn't Crocodile Dundee. Um, so that was that was a bit of a remarkable moment for me, you know, watching watching his career. Well, well this brings up a couple of questions. What was the viewpoint from 
the local viewpoint on Crocodile Dundee. I remember <laughs> being here. Yeah. I mean, if that was kind of a phenomenon here in the States. Was there disdain for what that kind of stereotype was back back home or not pride? At the time. No, not at the time. I think pride. I think, I think pride that, you know, even though it's less than ideal, at least there was someone with an Australian accent speaking in a film. And when you think about it, you know, we never get to do that. Like, I think I've done one Australian accent in 20 years outside of Australia, which was funny people. Again, playing an arrogant dick, um, <laughs> but with an Australian accent. Um, so, for some reason, we don't exist in the world in cinema, <laughs> on film, which guys. is kind of really not right when you think about it's it. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. I mean, there's plenty of Australians and Brits everywhere, but yeah. not in films. No, 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 you can't do that. Huh. So... Um, Funny People was about the only time where actually that character was American originally. And I said to Judd, look, I'd love to do this, but I've got to do him as an Australian. Why was that? I just thought he'd be funnier. I just thought the yeah. character would, there was more to play with. I, I knew that guy. I knew the Australian version of that guy. Yeah. And Judd was really cool about it. So I said, yeah, just just do it. You know, so. So g- give me a sense of, of uh, the impact of a film like uh, Mad Max and, and uh, Mel Gibson as a kid. I, I mean, oh. I, I mean, one of the biggest treats of the last year was I had George Miller here on the podcast. Wow. And, and I mean, Fury Road, I don't know what you thought of it. Mm-hmm. was epic, insane in all the best possible ways. Um, but it's a, that first film, they're all, all four of them have been kind of mind-blowing in their own respects. What was it like for you as a kid to see that? Uh, well, the first film is is a, on such a level of genius on i mean it's just it's kind of the perfect film to me actually the second one is almost the most perfect right. film they're on a par i find them really hard to separate first one's so innocent and out there and just genius and original the second one is is one of the rare cases where a larger budget made an as good if not better film than the first one sure um i think it's the perfect action film of all time but the first one I mean, it's just, oh, I just love everything about it, you know, and, and I was a car guy. And so that was the, the explosion of, you know, the big screen car film that was also Australian. I mean, it was just like, it was too much. It was too, too good to <laughs> too be Too perfect true. made for you. <laughs> you know, it was like an overdose. Um, uh, and I don't even think I was allowed to see that on the big screen because, yeah, I would have been too young. So I think I saw it on VHS and then, you know, saw it years later on the big screen. But yeah, yeah it was just. Yeah, too much. Have you have you met Mel or George in, in the intervening years? I've met both. Yeah. yeah, I met both once actually. George, very very sweet man. I I did, directed a documentary years ago about my obsession with my first car, which is the same car as in Mad Max, a, right. a, a, a Ford Falcon Coupe, and I had to get permission for a tiny bit of footage from Mad Max, and he was so gracious. And then he turned up to the premiere of the documentary in Melbourne. So. Yeah, got a soft spot for, for George. Absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so, I mean, yes. I mean, for those that don't know, and we've already alluded to it, obviously the, the first part of your career was was spent uh, mostly in comedy, really. And, I mean, was that – I mean, how did that develop? I mean, was it stand-up first? Yeah. And, and why and how? And was it just all, I guess, random or was desperation. it – Desperation. No. <laughs> in all seriousness, I need I mean, a way out. I, I, yeah, I was working in a – I was, you know, my 23rd – non-serious job in a row i was working in a in a in a bar as a glass boy and a barman and the promotions manager said to me once he would decide to put on a comedy night and he said to me he said you should get up i said i'm going to get up he said you should get up and do kind of what you do for us when we're packing up at the end of the night yeah and i was like yeah but that's you know again i grew up uh you know, watching people like Richard Pryor. And I thought every stand-up was of that standard, okay? <laughs> and he said, no, just do it. Just do it. So I got up and did five minutes 
And, and this is just improvised off the top of your this, head? Yeah, I sort of wrote some stuff that day. Okay. And got up, did five minutes. It went really well. And the guy who was paid to headline that night, I bumped, literally bumped into him in the bathroom afterwards. And he said, yeah, man, you should come along to another gig and give this a go. I think you'd have a future in stand-up comedy. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. I just took it with a grain of salt. And then- Again, uh, Jim, the promotion manager, said, you know what? We're going to go to a stand-up night. I want you to see what it's like. So, a week later, went to a stand-up comedy venue in Melbourne, and there were probably six comedians, and five of them pretty much sucked, and one of them was really good. And he said, okay, here's the breakdown. That guy's doing it for free. That guy's doing it for 60 bucks. That guy's doing it for 150 and that guy's doing it for 400 And I said, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I said, okay, I'm in. I mean, because I'm picking up glasses for eight bucks an hour and, and I want I want in on that. So, I literally went away and wrote, you know, 10, 15 minutes of stuff and well, started doing tryouts. What kind of stuff were you were you writing about? What were you performing? It was kind of anecdotal. Yeah. It was sort of storytelling. I mean, I used to do a few impressions here and there, but it was sort of just basic storytelling stuff. Um well, it was a bit of blue stuff as I progress. As I progressed, um, <laughs> as I matured, I but I blue. tried. I tried not to go full full blue initially, <laughs> um, and then and then I just yeah I I I, I was more prolific early on. Mm-hmm. I was pretty good with my writing in terms of being disciplined, and you know before I knew it, I was working full time and doing you know forty five minute sets, and I uh, was doing that for quite some years, and then auditioned for a sketch comedy program, right. and then. And then that was it. Sort of went from there. So, what was the ambition? Was it kind of again? Was it sort of just like in the in the beginning? It was you know an opportunity to make some decent cash, and then obviously I think you probably get a, a flush of success and realize, oh wait, people are appreciating what I'm doing, so that encourages mm. you. But were you kind of goal oriented then? Was it like I need to get this 45 minutes so I have a full thing? Do I need to get to the states? Do I want to act? Like what was? It's a was good question at? because I did want to. I did want to act. I wanted to act because I thought I could do it. Right, I just for, for whatever reason call it right. naivety or like it wasn't about I want to be in movies. I just look. I watched movies and I just felt I felt like I think I could I could do that. I think I could be other people. And when I started doing stand up, I almost didn't make the connection. Right, I just I kind of fell into it and I was okay at it. And suddenly I I was like a proper job and I was touring and you know had a, had a pretty good following and and um. It's just kind of snowballed. It wasn't until I got into sketch comedy that I started to link the two. Yeah. And I and I had a lot of people. There was only um, – we had a big cast. There's probably 12 of us. And there were only two or three of us that were comedians. And the rest were actually actors. And because I was surrounded by all these actors every day, I suddenly thought, well, it's not a, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between doing Carrying On Like an Idiot and playing eight people in a day to then get an opportunity to just be one person <laughs> for eight weeks. Right. That seems a lot Reverse easier. the math a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, the sketch comedy was a bit of a fence yeah. fence pull down for me. Did, did it feel like you were... Because, I mean, prior to Chopper, had you really done many films, TV, outside of the sketch stuff and outside of doing your own comedy stuff? It feels like you hadn't. No. So, how, so were you going up for jobs and just people not seeing you in that light? Or were you not... It, because the comedy thing was going so well, you weren't able to prioritize acting? Yeah, the, 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 the comedy stuff was going really well. And I had my own sketch show. And then I, I got a phone call literally on my honeymoon saying that they're making this movie about Chopper Reed and would I audition? And I, 
I thought, hang on, Chopper Reed, Chopper Reed. Yeah, he sounds familiar. I th- I'm pretty sure I know who that guy is because I'd seen an interview with him and I just felt like I could be him. And I said, yeah, I'll do the audition. Why not? Audition for that. And then it was, you know, like nearly two years before we actually made the film. But that was a point at which I thought, okay, I'm going to switch gears here yeah. and take a risk and sort of walked away from the comedy. I was still luckily was doing stand-up because I kind of needed to survive. But I walked away from TV. I walked away from TV to pursue the drama, um, but then s- still was basically surviving off off my uh, stand-up. Right. Until even after Chopper, actually. I was still doing stand-up for more than a year after after I'd shot Chopper. Yeah. Um, in fact, even after the movie was released, I was still doing the odd gig. I was curious about that because it's 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 a it's it's a bit of time ago now, but I mean, in, I'm, I'm curious like how quickly did so this is this is I think it was the debut film for Andrew Dominic as well, yes, right? It was, yeah, yeah, which who obviously has gone on to great success with Assassination of Jesse James, etc. Mm-hmm. A true artist uh, behind the uh, lens. Um, how quickly did it move from something that was like a curiosity, a small thing, to something that had kind of global? recognition and was even getting attention here in the states well it never really felt like that so when we made it chopper was kind of known in the in the state of victoria where i'm from in in melbourne but not that many people knew of who he was yeah around australia a few people did but not many so i kind of thought well people in victoria will see it but no one around the rest of the country will see it and then it sort of became a bit of a breakout hit in Australia. But it, it wasn't – I think the best thing that ever happened for me was that it wasn't a, it wasn't a well-known film. Uh-huh. It wasn't a breakout hit. It, was, it didn't get a push internationally. It went to a couple little film festivals. It had word of mouth. But it became a film that people discovered continually over a number of years, right. which I think for me was actually a better thing than if it had of – come into america with a great distribution and push for awards and things like that it was almost better for me that that never happened and that it just kind of percolated amongst real film geeks and they would talk about it and other people would discover it and it was like every couple of years was like another new audience that was was finding it so i think that that was the probably the the most powerful thing about the film yeah what was I mean the perception at least looking in the like the filmography post Chopper was like, as you say, it took a little while curly for mm-hmm. it to like kind of like to get get past stand up and everything and to actually get a career going. But once you got there, it seemed like there was a lot packed into a few years. Like whether it's from Ridley Scott and Black mm-hmm. Hawk Down and Hulk, of course, to Munich, um, yeah. it seemed like you were like it guy, it guy, it guy, and you know mm-hmm. you know how the the, in, the industry works, um, you know the hot thing everybody talks about and 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 there's a lot of there's a flush of opportunity did it feel like that in the moment like this is this is my time I've, i'm getting all the meetings i've always dreamed of this is or- yes and no um i felt like there was a pressure to do a lot more work than i was doing mm. and i just kind of went at my own pace I, I just refused at the time to do more than kind of one film a year right so i wasn't I was working hard because a lot of those films were really long shoots. Initially, in the first sort of three or four years of my international career, they were all kind of like crazy five, six-month shoots. Right. Like, you know, Black Hawk Down, The Hulk was really long, Troy was really long. Um, it wasn't until I got them out of the way that it sort of started to sort of settle down. But um, so I was kind of always going my own pace, and it it sort of felt like that, but at the same time, it, it didn't because I was yeah. determined. Like, people would say, what's your file movie? And I said, I don't even know what you what language are you speaking? What's your what's your summer movie? <laughs> what 
I, I, it took me a while to understand what they meant. And what yeah. they meant was actors do a film each season. Right. And I go, well, it, the fall's when the leaves come down from the tree, isn't it? And spring is when the flowers start budding and winter is when it's cold and summer's when it's hot. Right. You know, that's how I relate to the seasons. I don't relate to them as, and now for my fall movie. <laughs> Untitled Banner Fall Project. <laughs> I was just like, the whole thing seems so ridiculous to me. So I never really bought into that. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, and also, luckily for me, I had two very young children at right. the time. So my priorities were I'd go and work and then I'd go and chill out at home. I mean, know? I guess that's part of that is the timing of, of a career where, like, you know, you got that major flush of film success in your early 30s as opposed to your early 20s. Right. And it might have been a lot different where, you know, everybody at 22 is just ready to destroy the world and just and, and screw family whatever um you actually were an adult hopefully yeah. with some priorities and yeah, head I think screwed on right. straight i think i think you're right and also i think i also benefited from the fact that whilst i had no career outside of australia i i felt like i'd already done okay yeah not totally. you know, like i was like <laughs> i'd had this you know amazing career back home and I, i'm not saying that i don't um have aspirations but I was never, I was never the kind of person that kept beating myself over the head, saying, "You must do more. Right. You must conquer. You know, <laughs> you've barely begun." I was like, "This is, you know, this is kind of pretty good. This has already gone better than I expected." Right. And every twelve months just kind of seemed like a bit of a bonus. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. It's yeah. gravy. Yeah, you already had the success. So, wait, talk. You, you've already, in the course of this conversation, gone into just different voices naturally. Clearly, this is something that's always. That's, have I, have yeah, I been channeling? Yeah. <laughs> You're channeling. Is that something that just like growing up was that in the family, or was that unique to Crazy Little Eric that he was doing voices all the time? Uh, no, I think I'd do it without even yeah yeah without sort of thinking about it too much. It started out family members, and then it became teachers. And, right. Um, it wasn't until it started to get me out of trouble at school that I realized there was some sort of currency right. at, um, a- attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, jumping, jumping around a little bit, back to I'm curious about Black Hawk Down because, um, yeah, for a first, I guess, um, film of that stripe that you hadn't made something certainly of that scale yet. Mm. Very few people ever get to make yeah, a movie of that yeah. scale, period. Ridley Scott, the cast of that he assembled is insane um when you think back to that shoot what do you think immediately of what's the first thing you think uh it was overwhelming yeah um it was again it was you know one of the you know two or three times where you just really do pinch yourself and go is this really happening i mean a movie that i used to watch growing up um every day was just you were just soaking it in we had the it was the greatest cast and i've got three maybe four really close friends to this day from yeah. from that movie um, just and, because of that experience, that that yeah. mentality a little bit. Or- um, sharing the corridor in a hotel yeah. for, for four or five months. Um, just going through that whole experience of being in a foreign country for a long period of time on a on a on a film. And for a lot of for a lot of us it was our kind of first. I mean there were were a few veterans in there, but there were a lot of guys like myself who were just starting out. Yeah. Um, it was just it was overwhelming. It was um it was amazing. It was exciting. You know, we got to do some so many of our own stunts because we were on the other side of the world and right. because we were clearly expendable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, working with the military every day and with Ridley, it was just, it was everything. Yeah. It was everything. Um, 
Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I, I, I'm fascinated by... I've, I've, I have a deep affection for Hulk. I really do. And I think what, what Aang did in that film is very unique, especially... Um, say what you will, if you have quibbles with it, it stands apart from the, the comic book movies that we see today. He was really going for something special. Um, and I've talked to a lot of actors that have worked with Ang Lee, and he, he's, he's, he can be a tough filmmaker. He's, he knows what he wants, and he's not necessarily a cakewalk. Um, well, first, is that something you went after? Did he go after you? I mean, I'm curious of sort of how that even happened, an opportunity like that. It's a good question because I don't really know how it came about. Um, I took a little convincing. I wasn't sure about about doing that kind of movie at, at the time. I really was attracted to it because of Ang and because of the kind of movies he'd made. Um, but that kind of movie was not at all on my on my right. radar but it was also it was very early days so it wasn't really anything to compare it with we were coming out um pretty shortly after the first spider-man right. reboot which had already been a huge hit and that whole marvel universe didn't really exist yeah so um it was kind of cool to be one of the first uh well back then anyway um but it, it was a little overwhelming it was a it was a it was a um yeah, it was a it it was a odd it was a kind of odd production to be a, a part of because it was you know on the one hand it was this huge superhero film but for me it wasn't because I was just in a room with a couple of actors each yeah. day so it was almost like the the opposite of a green screen movie for me it was like this intense really sort of moody drama that was also a a superhero movie right. it was kind of kind of bizarre. Um, Yes, that's kind of my memory of it. It, it also has one of, uh, in addition to you and Jennifer, one of my favorite performances in, again, that quote, genre, if we want to call it a genre. Nick Nolte in that film yeah. is amazing. Like, yeah. to talk about an actor you can't take your eyes off of in a film. Yeah. Um, and certainly it sounds like a character in his own right. What, memories of working with, with Nolte? Yeah, he was he was half insane and half not insane. He was, right. There was a kind of like the insane Nolte, but it was always with a wink. <laughs> You know, it was all. He, and he had his he little doing. oxygen tank on set, and he'd like inhale pure oxygen, then sort of give me a wink. Because it was almost like this makes him think I'm crazy. You know, watch out. That um, voice, oh my god! It was yeah. It was. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun working together. It was yeah. It was pretty cool. Carson Sam Elliott as yeah. well. Like just fantastic was it was there ever talk even the early going of like the sequel that never was did ang or the studio ever talk to you about sort of what that story would have been no there was never really there was never really a conversation yeah Hmm. and then something like um Troy, which is God, these are all massive undertakings at the time. This was the period of your life where you I were, was exhausted after all this. I would imagine <laughs> ready to retire. My God, but um, again, the scale of that was ginormous. Biggest, yeah, for me, biggest ever. It was just, but but also a treat in that. Like again, I think of things like. You know, collecting actors like you and Brad and Diane Kruger, but also like Peter O'Toole. I'm yeah. Peter O'Toole. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, first thing that uh, comes to mind uh, on a production like that. Uh, again, it was similar to Black Hawk Down. It was kind of too good to be true. It was an amazing cast. Um, you know, I loved working with Wolfgang Peterson. He's just the greatest, greatest guy. Um, being on a horse every day out, out in the out on the sand dunes, you know, doing fight scenes. Um, it was just. It was everything. It was amazing. It was um, it was bigger than it needed to be. It was it was bigger than um, you know. If you were making that film today, you'd probably make it for 
half the money with half the people and right. half the extras and half the stuff. It was kind of on the cusp of that. Of I mean, like, clearly digital existed, but like yeah. it seems like one of the last of that type that like, and, and Wolfgang had the juice at the time where he yeah, could. Yeah, exactly. We, we used way, way more people than, than we really needed to. The sets were way bigger than they needed to, but all for good reasons, you know, because yeah. they, in those days, it, digital yeah. was on the periphery. It wasn't like you just built the smallest set possible and then yeah. built digital around it. It was like you built the set you could afford and then sure. you use digital for the rest so it was it was yeah it was epic it is epic. Uh, again in a totally different vein munich is is a, a a masterwork from spielberg i think and i think people even then but now i think are appreciating it as the complex like just kind of outlier in his career he's, he's made so many mm. classics but that film um it, it seems i don't know it's a special one it, it seems also to be not necessarily a fun film to make <laughs> i mean it's not an easy sit for an audience mm. um was it a pleasurable experience? It was the opposite. It was it was so much fun. Really? Yeah. And I think that just, it always comes from the top down. And Stephen's such a wonderful man. And he's very funny. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, and also has that attitude that, you know, if you're working on something that dark, you really need the circuit breaker. And yeah. we were constantly joking around on that set, believe it or not. Um, and I think it was because it was so heavy and the world was a heavy place at that time. I remember we were in Malta shooting in this really narrow building. We had to climb up like four or five flights of stairs. And it was the day of the London bombings. And it just, you know, it was it was back when all that stuff just felt felt very real. Yeah. Um, and because of the subject matter, yeah, it was it was. There were moments on that set where it felt quite tense. Yeah. Um, so I think we used humor as a bit of a circuit breaker, oddly enough. So, no, I look back on that and it was one of the most fun shoots I've ever done. I would think, I mean, again, talking about sort of like the, the comedic aspects, the voices, the the way you kind of enjoy clearly transforming yourself to different degrees at certain points. Something like Trek would seem to be, would check those boxes where you get to really kind of dip into a character like you know you've never done before and mm. do a voice and do a look etc um is it fair to say that was sort of part of the fun of something like that it was it was it was the first time where i had the opportunity to to be in a film where people may not even realize i'm in the film right yeah. <laughs> um and i was a huge fan of jj and and you know jj and steven are very similar in terms of just their energy and sense of humor and what they like to work with and um that film was was amazing. I mean, it was very contained for me because uh, it was pretty much you know confined to right. my little spaceship, <laughs> as, um, which Your was again little corner w- of the universe, which was way bigger than it needed to be. It was actually pretty <laughs> pretty impressive when I walked onto the set. I was like, this is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, again yeah definitely a pinch yourself moment. And you walk onto the set and you go, okay, I'm a villain in a. Star Trek movie, like how <laughs> how did this happen? This is so cool. <laughs> I mean, are, are are you someone that like you know you look at some of the other filmmakers that you've worked with in, in recent years, whether it's um, Joe Wright or Peter Berg? I mean, do you gravitate towards a certain kind of filmmaker? You think that a certain kind of filmmaker that you enjoy working with, or are you kind of receptive to all different? Um, yeah, I think I sort of subconsciously. I mean, I am a director whore. I mean, I do. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm a huge respecter of the art of directing um so i'm I'm definitely attracted to to directors who have a point of view and have an opinion and have some grunt you know have the ability to get their story told not a you know a story by committee and that doesn't always work out but it's always the sort of projects i'd rather be a part of um and i've i've definitely 
try to gravitate towards the directors who I think I'll have a good collaborative experience with. Right. Um, and you can sometimes tell from just, just meeting with them and sometimes you can't tell until you're on the set. But I, I, I just know that I do, I definitely do my best work when I'm in a collaborative space right. rather than a kind of dictatorial space. Well, and looking ahead to a couple of the films that I think you've already shot, I'm very excited to see that. I mean, the Guy Ritchie thing, I mean, I always love what Guy brings to anything and certainly his take on, on King Arthur will be an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Jim Sheridan, who, yeah. who hasn't been directing enough for my money. Absolutely. And I'm excited to see that he's actually shot something with you, I guess. Yeah, yeah we did a film called The Secret Scripture with, yeah. with Rooney Mara and, and Vanessa Redgrave. And uh, it's a, a beautiful story based on a sebastian barry novel um and yeah we shot that in dublin last year and it was uh, it's a beautiful beautiful little film so i'm not sure what the genesis of that will be i'm sure it'll probably end up at a festival somewhere and um yeah so it was that was it was a great experience i mean jim's such a unique director my god i mean talk about you know being a director whore and being attracted to you know people's uh, body of work and then getting a chance to work with them it was just it was amazing do, do you have a a favorite filmmaker or two just as a fan that when they come out with their new thing you are you gonna be first in line or i do but i've i've got to say i'm as much of a dp whore as i am a director okay, well, whore. tell me that i want to hear that too yeah i mean i i, I you know like janusz kaminski i've been lucky enough to work with sure. him a couple of, roger deacons I mean, I'll go and see everything yeah. that guy does. So, yeah, I, I definitely am attracted to, to DPs as well as, as directors. You enjoyed Sicario then, I assume? I, very much. I mean... Very much, amazing. yeah. That's also the filmmaker. He's, he's probably at the top of my list of people I haven't worked with, actually. Ahead of directors would be would be Deacons. So, is that... I'm curious, from an actor's perspective, do you even communicate much generally with the DP? Or are you just saying that, like, I, I can trust that they will make a beautiful... No, I do. I, lo- I, I love the DP relationship because I, I see it as really essential um and i'm i'm a camera buff and you know i love photography right. and all that sort of stuff so i'm i'm in awe of the dp on a set um and I, I tend to always get along with them very well as a result and so i'm always picking their brain and yeah. watching them work and uh watching that relationship with with them and the director and and the a camera operator and uh, and the gaffer and stuff so yeah it's it's a job i have a lot of uh, a lot of respect and interest I mean, you're sounding like somebody that's going to direct again. You directed a documentary, but is that something that, I mean, it sounds like you're, you know, you're not clocking in and out on the set. You're interested in the whole process. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm not desperate to, I've always said that I don't read scripts with an eye to direct. Yeah. But if I felt as passionate about another project as I did my own, I would, I would direct again. And I, I learned a lot directing and uh, working on a, a documentary and and working closely with the editor and it, it almost seems I don't I don't mean this to sound wrong it almost seems too good and too easy to be true that you could write something down and people will actually go and do it right no yeah. right yeah it's like compared <laughs> to putting a documentary together wait so so I could write two pages of something and we'd actually go away and shoot exactly that <laughs> and then I could put that in the film. Um, so yeah, I, 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 there's a chance I'll do a narrative at some stage. Yeah. I've got another. Um, I have other ideas for for other documentaries and stuff. It'll just be depend on what gets in line yeah. first. But it's hard when you then lazily then you get offered great material and then you just kind of go and do that. I mean, how can you? Yeah, I got Jim Sheridan, Guy Ritchie yeah. want to work with me. I'm not gonna, you know, <laughs> Ricky Gervais. I mean, it is yeah. hard to go. No, I'm working on my own project right now. Right. You know, like just just push all that stuff aside. So I I do have things that I'm working on, but 
Uh, at some stage, they'll hopefully see the light of day. Um, before I let, let you go, uh, I've got this weird Indiana Jones fedora filled with stupid questions as opposed to the very thoughtful, intelligent questions that I've been lobbing at you as he stared blankly at me. Now, yes. <laughs> bring, bring, bring um, them on. Uh, would you like to grab one or two? There we go. <laughs> you can pass if it's too stupid. If for I were a rapper, my name would be... Don't tell me you haven't thought about this. Clearly, this is I, I've never thought about this. <laughs> Beatbox banana. <laughs> if you want to freestyle something right now. Nah. <laughs> nah. Beatbox banana is as far as I go. Can I pull out another? Yeah, please. This is too much fun. Never thought I'd leave here with a rap name. <laughs> when I was a kid, my hero was... Ooh. Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Ooh, probably had a few, and they were all race car drivers back then. Yeah, um, I used to love Mario Andretti and James Hunt and a couple of local guys from Australia, Dick Johnson and stuff. So yeah, they were race car drivers early on. I've, I've conveniently left out the fact that I don't have a driver's license because I thought that would that wow. you would barely even want That's to sit a down good with close. <laughs> As he storms on that, ladies and gentlemen, we're we're, we're signing out. Eric Bannon storms York. out of my office. Wow. <laughs> no respect whatsoever. No, full I, respect. You're a New Yorker. I'm a New Yorker. You I don't need it, a right? car. Who needs a car here? Not even I would need a car here. Thank you. Okay. We came yeah. to a grudging mutual respect in the end after we worked through some issues. <laughs> um, Ernest, congratulations uh, on, on the new film. I hope everybody checks it out. I know anyone that's a fan of Ricky and yours needs to check it out. Special Correspondence is the film. Um, Eric, thanks for stopping Thank you very much. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.